This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Love, no matter what, all the way through, meet with courage, storms and challenges that strengthen you, rise in heavenly glories and gentle winds that lift your soul. Love, no matter what, whether you are crowned and praised by cheering crowds or stoned and hanged on this world's cross. Love, no matter what, through gain and loss, in this life's play, for love will make you shine. You are that blazing light in which no shadow can exist, and truth just is. Love, no matter what, for no reason, but for the sake of love. Your heart, beloved, is big enough. Love, no matter what poem by Nicola Amadora. Valeria interviews Dr. Nicola, the author of Love Unleashed, How to Rise in a World on the Edge. Dr. Nicola Amadora is a contemporary spiritual teacher, author, public speaker, psychologist, and founder of Living Connection. She guides spiritual retreats for groups, personal therapy, and professional trainings for 30 years internationally. She is a frequent speaker at SAND, and various conferences in the USA and Europe. Nicola provides a unique depth of experience, ability, and knowledge for the spiritual path of awakening, healing, relating, and embodiment to turn lives around and to make a difference in our world. She is the author of Nothing But Love and her forthcoming book, Love Unleashed, How to Rise in a World on the Edge. To learn more about Dr. Nicola, please visit her website, nicolaamadora.com. Here is the interview with Dr. Nicola Amadora. In your own words, who is Dr. Nicola Amadora? So hello, everyone. I am a spiritual teacher, and I'm also a psychologist, a Kumi therapist, and I work around the world with for 30 years with individuals and with groups. So I have a long-term experience in the field, and um, so delighted to be here today. Mm, wonderful. Thank you. Before we talk about some of the topics in your book, Love Unleashed, How to Rise in a World on the Edge, 
I have a few warm-up questions, as I mentioned, off record. The first one is, what is the mind and what are thoughts? The mind is just one faculty of um, a human being. Like we have emotions, we have sensations in the body, and so we have thoughts in the mind. It's just one faculty we get to use as human beings. And thoughts, they are the um, manifestation of accessing. How does it work? The mind is a field, would be a space, and thoughts are waves of energy. Would you say something like that as well? You could say that. We could say that the mind is a field of energy and there are thoughts that are our own thoughts moving through us. There are thoughts from other people that, you know, arise in our mind. It's like a storage house of past memory, usually, and accumulated thoughts that don't necessarily represent the truth. That's just an accumulation of what you have learned and what has been passed on. Such a fascinating subject uh, has been said that we are not thoughts, which is very challenging to understand, right? How come we are not thoughts? I always like it to make it very easy for people to just say, we have thoughts. It's like we have an arm, but yeah. you're not arm. You are not thoughts. You just have them. It's like you have a finger. You're not your finger. Yeah, it's part of you, but it's not the whole you. That's right. You are far more than your finger. You're far more than your thoughts. And I think I like to hold it that way. It's not like, oh, thoughts are unreal. We don't even need to go there. We just need to go there. Oh, yeah, you just have a faculty of a human being that has thoughts and a foot and a hand. It makes a lot of sense to the mind here. You pose a question, a profound question in your book. What is left when all else is gone? What remains? It's my favorite question to use in my retreats. Beautiful question. Yeah. Uh, it was a question that, that arose on my intense journey because that was the only way to get really curious to discover what is left when all else departs. And, you know, the ultimate answer can only be found in your direct experience. And for me, what is left, not from a conceptual realm, but from a direct experience, is love. Living time of love. I had concepts about love. I had ideals about love. But they all got stripped with this question until I fell into love itself. And from that moment, I knew yeah, I knew for, for real. Would you be able to describe what love is? Uh, what a question. <laughs> <laughs> what is suffering? What constitutes suffering? So I make a distinction between pain and suffering. Pain for me, in my view, is like you don't get by without pain in this life. It's like, it's like the, in the Buddhist tradition, it is phrased very well. I was saying you are going to have, you have joy and you have pain. It's part of your human makeup. Yeah. Then nobody, no, but the suffering that we create is, how do you phrase it? It's like the second error we shot, we shoot into ourselves. 
That means, for example, if you have a painful experience such as somebody leaves you yeah, and you have a heartbreak and that pain is going to hit hard in your heart if you love the person mm-hmm. and you're going to cry and you're going to get angry and you're going to get sad and whatever and all this grief comes. If you move through it, it opens you to greater love. If you don't move through it, it turns into prolonged suffering. That means, for example, you're going to choose the same situation again and again, or you are going to go into a depression, or you're going to take your life, or you're not going to love ever again. That's the additional layer onto pain. It's suffering. And suffering is not necessary. Like we can see right now in our world, what we have created is a lot of suffering coming from history of long, you know, even with the black people, harming them over centuries. You know, it's like that is now the karma is coming back. This is the suffering we have created. If somebody, you know, by mistake um, hurts another person, apologizes, they set the karma right, and it hurts for a moment, you move through it, you do the right thing, and then you move on. You have no more suffering. You can forgive, and you have no more suffering. And I'm wondering if this has something to do with enlightenment. What is to be enlightened to you? You are getting to the juice, aren't you? And that's just a warm-up question. Yes. <laughs> yes. Valeria, I'm not using the word enlightenment anymore. And the reason is in my work, what I've seen is I call it enlivenment. It's bringing people back to life, coming into life, fully into life experiencing life fully and being fully here is actually in my experience that's when you first you embody naturally the love and the presence whereas enlightenment is you often comes from a very male oriented spirituality and it has a goal you sit on a mountain and you meditate and one day you experience just light and you transcendent I feel there's half of it is left out, which is the enlightenment, which is much more the feminine, you know, and it's, it's very enlightenment. It's like, it's almost like there's a goal in the distance and you never quite catch that. In my experience, it was more like, yeah, I was filled with complete light. It was like, but it wasn't something I made. It just happened as the stuff cleared out. There was naturally the shining the shining light, that total aliveness just pouring through. What do you think is the purpose of the human experience? Why is this needed to be here in a human body? A great question again. So I can only tell you from my experience and from what I have seen and and what my view is. And as we come onto this planet, it's like, it's like so many beings are wanting to be on this planet. Why would they want to be in a planet where so, there's so much suffering? And it is in the old scriptures and also what my experience is, is said that 
it is the most favorable place for love to get to be embodied. You cannot this love is is like it's easy to embody love when you're floating maybe like an angel through the skies, right? It's <laughs> true. <laughs> when you're in the midst of the horrors or the, the difficulties, or, you know, the economy crashing, or you lose your money, when you're in the midst of that, when somebody attacks you, and to be, to stand in that love, even during those times or moments, that's when love is completely, is like fully realized. And I think so many beings are lining up for that, to be able to taste you know the duality, the 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 pain, the joy, the the beauty, the mess, and experience themselves as utterly fragile, vulnerable human in the midst of it all, whilst feeling, oh, there is the love right in that vulnerability. That made me think about this idea of playing a game that we don't know how to play. And then we kind of learned the rules. And then at the end, we didn't do so good. And then we wanted to play it again. <laughs> so we do better. Yes. And, you know, if we I lived with the Sufis, it's like the eternal hide and seek. We're working the beloved hide better than in the world of duality on this planet. And will you find yeah. the beloved even, you know, um, when your beloved, when you're husband dies will you find the beloved even when they put a gun at your chest you know it's like these yeah. i think the greatest love when it's realized is here on planet earth yeah it, i mean it, it sounds really interesting the idea yeah because now we're uniting everything the body the mind and the spirit as so many people say so what is your idea of the afterlife and the soul continuations Again, that's where I come from my personal experience because, you know, I'm always the kind of, yeah, I've always traveled on my path. I learned things, I studied and all that. And then I dive into my own experience, throw everything out the window and just see what's actually true for me. Yeah. Like in a deeper way, I'm always looking for the, for the truth underneath all of yeah. it. And the deep, the deeper I dove, the more it was clear there was so many lifetimes flooding through me. It was like I could clearly remember lifetimes without, you know, throughout my meditations that happened just naturally without forcing it. And I also had a near-death experience where, you know, it was when I was 14. And at that time, I didn't know, you know, that's a near-death experience, but I saw I was taken out and I shot towards the light and I saw the whole thing suddenly so clear. And there was, I didn't want to go back to planet earth. I just wanted to just merge with that light, life at light and just disappear there. And I, I was told, you know, my time was not there yet to go. And it was another lifetime that I'm given the chance to fully realize who I am and to be, yeah, to fulfill my mission in service to all beings. I think there's like, and an, an when you are, when you speak about the soul, if I take um, my, this view of each, in the Buddhist terms, you don't have a soul, but in my experience, you do. For me, it's just a name for the individual 
it's like liken it to the to nature. So nature in itself is all one, is all is just life. But then you have a tree and you have a flower. Each has its yeah. unique expression. And for me, the soul is the unique expression of, you know, the oneness. There's this oneness, but then there's also like completely unique. No one else exists like you. No one. No soul. And there's older souls that have gone like thousands of years through cycle after cycle on being on planet Earth. And you can tell, I can tell, then also when I meet younger souls. Mm, oh, you can tell. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It's very, very clear. It's like um, there's uh, some very, very old souls they're like. And then there's like, you know, they're just very young. They have been maybe three times on this planet and they're still orienting themselves. <laughs> That's cute. <laughs> they pop from one party to the next. <laughs> right. You know, it's, like, it's like kids, you know. It's the kid soul. Yeah. Now, that makes sense to me. When you say it was not time for you to go the way you understand the journey of the soul, per se. So I'm wondering, go where? What is the destination? And that leads to my question that I often ask, not all of my guests, but most of them. What is the opposite of life? From another perspective, this is just another realm. I mean, it's like, um, for me, it was like leaving the body and mm -hmm. merging with the light. Yeah, it was just, everything is just so much lighter when you don't carry around a big pile of, you know, body with you. And so it it's also much more like you're not, you're not taking all this conditioning with you. There's soul imprints you take with you that you have to maybe come back to undo. But in general, my, my experience is like you just, you leave and everything becomes lighter. For some people, it doesn't become lighter. It becomes actually darker because they can't leave the realm. They can't leave planet Earth. They're just hovering. So, and when you say, what is what is not life, you said? What is the opposite of life? If it, there is such a thing, of course. I don't think there's an opposite. I don't feel there is. I mean, there is a sense of like, what is life? What is the opposite of life? It's like saying, what is the opposite of love? For me, when people say the opposite of love is fear, I say that's wrong. There is no opposite to love. Love yes. contains everything. Love contains fear. Love contains joy. But love is the ultimate. And for me, in life, we can say the opposite is death. But when we look closely, what is actually that dies? It's, if my body goes into the earth, the body's dead, it goes into the earth and it gets eaten by worms, it feeds the worms, well, life continues. In my view, there is no, sometimes the ultimate is named as beyond, beyond birth and death, but it's not named as beyond life because life continues. What is freedom to you? What is to be free? And is it possible to be free here and now? Again, this is this is a very important question because often this is mistaken as saying, I want to be free from, let's say, I want to be free from this society. I want to be free from my own issues. That's not freedom. Freedom is found in the midst of it. I'm free already, even if I'm sitting in a prison cell. 
At this time, what do you think is the world's greatest need? Do you have a vision for a new reality? Yes, both. The greatest need in, again, because I work all the time with people, so I'm really close up to what is actually needed for people. And it's very clear. It's like one thing is clear of people are needing love, one, for one. There is a need to really wake up. I feel that's urgent, pressing, and not just waking up in terms of realizing your own nature, but also waking up to the reality of what we're creating here on this planet. So for me, this goes hand in hand. Like you can't be awake fully if you don't, if you're not willing to face the situation that we're in in this world, like our environmental pollution, our insanity in terms of um, how we treat some people. And like, let's say in this moment is coming to light, you know, the, the black black people and how we glorify those who sit on top. I feel what's needed is an awakening that's a holistic awakening that awakens to this light, this humanity here on this earth, as well as to your own nature. And only then can we really, I, you know, I see a clear vision for a whole new way of living on this planet. And that's part of my work here is that we embrace our humanity, that we can meet more deeply in the heart, but also that we use our brilliance to find solutions, to live in alignment in a way that helps the flourishing of our beautiful earth, that helps the people to, you know, that not that a quarter of our people are starving, yeah? So that there is an intelligent and loving way that is possible, that can emerge, but we are now being stripped of our, of all that what is insane. And it's coming to the surface because right now the carpet is being pulled and the truth is coming forth. Is in order to really awaken, we have to see what we've created and where we've been living from, from separation. Beautifully, you wrote, most of humanity is living in a faraway land of separation. And that's true. For now, what is your understanding and idea of peace? It kind of refers back to, I mean, I lived with Thich Nhat for a long time, you know, and he's all about peace. And again, it was what I loved with him was it wasn't a peace that has where you deny any conflict. It's a peace that surpasses all understanding, which for me is residing in the truth, residing in the love, there is peace. There is no more war going on inside and you're not creating any war outside. It's not like you're looking for peace outside because it's not really possible to find that at this point. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. But it's not a peace that says, oh, when we're sitting harmoniously on the couch, that's this fleeting peace. No, it's the peace that's deeper than all else. That's deeper than you. That's there amidst your conflicts. That's there amidst your troubles. That's there amidst the disagreement. It's just deeper than that. And to reside in that whilst you, I deal with, with somebody who, has, who attacks me. 
to reside in that peace and speak and relate from there is a whole other way of living that I find is peace, brings peace to the world. Yeah, you're speaking of inner peace. I'm wondering if it's possible to end all conflicts within, since the mind is a land of conflicts and duality. Do you think it's possible? Again, in my experience uh, for myself, but also working with people, I, for me, all conflicts end in the moment I reside in my nature, but also I'm connected with you and allow you to have your opinions and your views and accept you as you are. It doesn't mean I would agree. We can still have disagreements, but the conflict mm -hmm. emerges when I try to convince you and you try to convince me and we're trying to, you know, there's many, many forms of conflict, of course, but we're yeah. forgetting that we are connected. I've worked with people like, you know, they had intense conflicts or in groups and I'm like, let's first connect and then we deal with conflict and some of it just suddenly there was no more conflict. It was just like, oh, you have this view and I have this view and how do we, how do we deal with this? Yeah, it became much more creative. Do you ever use the word God? I use all sorts of words depending on what kind of people I work with. So when I work with people who are more Christian oriented, I just use their word, God. Or if I work with women, then it's the goddess. And for me, it's like I, you know, I call it a life force or I call it, for me, it's love. That's my word. <laughs> yeah. Oh boy, that's my word too. <laughs> For I sure. I think I said yes to the interview because I'm like, this girl sounds like she's not woo-woo and she's not like the new age, whatever, because I'm not into that. Um, but and you have you you about the love and i was like that's really great yeah before i ask you questions about love i'll ask you two other questions that might relate to it anyway how did you become a writer dr nicola i feel like i was born with a pen in my hand <laughs> that's cute i always keep pens around when i was a child and the thing that I loved most is writing, stories, writing. I would make up words. I loved making up all sorts of words. And actually, you know, that was in school, that was always when I had the best grades was writing. In math, it was the worst grades. <laughs> so, and then, you know, I was too busy in my life with so many responsibilities and um, leading so many people and raising a child that I had not much time, but I was always, I think I have about 500 journals, you know, just a collection of it. For me, writing is a great joy and I feel like it's, it's part of my talent. It's part of my calling that to express it in words. I love words. What was the inspiration and intention of writing your book, Love Unleashed? The original was, I was called, a deep calling inside that just kept, just kept pushing me, write and write 
about love. And I was like, oh no, this is going to be another whatever spiritual woo-woo book. <laughs> Find the club in that one. So Resisted for a while, but then I just, it just flowed. And I hope, and it is not a woo-woo book. It's actually very grounded. I hope you got a little taste of it. And I also felt at this time, and I started writing this book already two years ago, I could feel there's a time that's now, what's happening now, that would be coming where people need support and much more help because we will be on a on an edge that we will face the consequences of our actions. Uh, you know, we've driven the planet to its brink. And so I wanted really to be of service, to have people be able to have a book in their hand and say, okay, what do I do now? The storm is really on. How do I get to the through the hurricane? <laughs> right, right. Wow. I have a lot of notes here from the other sections in your book that you sent me, part of it. So, but the main one is the poem titled Love No Matter What. Before that, I want to ask you this last question. Why did you choose to become a psychologist? For me, when we, um, this, this is actually part of, you know, being a teacher of love is to understand the human psychology really well, to be able to guide people in a healthy and, and grounded way. Because if I, if love is be, is beyond all human and we leave this humanness out, we're kind of up in the air. We're not really, I couldn't, I wouldn't be able to really help people if I didn't understand our human psychology, like the makeup of the mind, the emotional body, the, the physical body, all these things. I feel like they're really, really important to to include so we can embody love or live love on this earth. That's why I studied it. I wanted to help people and I studied, you know, it's called uh, transpersonal psychology. I did my doctorate in there and did a lot of other trainings as well to be as integrated as possible. So that's the understanding part with the intellect. And then I know you're doing that part and also intuition. So you're bringing these powerful parts or faculties or what we have available just to connect with this state of being or state of mind. Or I just want to, one thing, I think it's not just intellectual, but really that and intuition, it's really to include also the emotional body and the the physical body, so everything comes on board because only then is it possible to actualize love. When you say love, no matter what, so let's understand what love is. Talk to me about that, Dr. Nicola. So when we take this poem, love no matter what, all the way through, meet with courage, storms and challenges that strengthen you. Rise in heavenly glories and gentle winds that lift your soul. Love no matter what, whether you are crowned and praised by cheering crowds or stoned and hanged on this world's cross. Love no matter what, through gain and loss in this life's play, for love will make you shine. You are that blazing light in which no shadow can exist, and truth just is. Love no matter what, for no reason, but for the sake of love alone. 
your heart, beloved, is big enough for that. For me, this poem came when I asked the question, what is love? And this question has been a lifelong question for me. And life answered me with direct experiences, not in a conceptual way, because trying to understand love is just trying to understand the whole universe and trying to put it in your pocket. It doesn't work. (laughs) (laughs) What this poem, this poem came from what it taught, what love itself taught me and showed me that love can actually is there even in your deepest pain. Love is there even when you are praised by cheering crowds. Love is cannot be contained in one word or one sentence saying, and this is what love is. Love is far too big for that. But at the same time, I would say, if we, if we really want to put a little bit of a container around it, and I'd say love is everything, contains everything. Love is in the midst, is there even when you feel lost. Love is there in the most sad moment. How can love be there when you are absolutely terrified or sad or heartbroken? For most people, there is no love. And yet, when you really open all the way and you let the pain move through you, let the joy move through you really all the way, What happens in my experience when I had the deepest grief of my life, when I lost someone that I really, really loved, and there were many other griefs, of course, it was as I moved through that, I landed to my utter surprise in such depth of love that I could not even imagine to ever experience that I had not known before. And that love was there then suddenly for, I just walked on the street and I could love the homeless person there. I could love the banker who was totally aggressive. I could love in even the moment of where, you know, I was, I was um, freezing and cold and I could love the moment where the sun was waking me up way too early and my cat was jumping on my face. Mm -hmm. It was a love. It gave me, it opened me into a love that is, um, for me, worth everything. And in that moment when we ask what is love, it's being able to love all. Yeah, that sounds very much to me as unconditional love. Yes. You would say that, that that's loving or giving with no conditions. I would say it's unconditional, but it's not giving or it's neither giving nor receiving. It's both. Yeah. Because for me, you know, I lived with with saints and sages and I saw also a side of love that is for me, for that look, you know, this overgiving wasn't loving to themselves. So to see that love also loves you, your nose, your hair, your life, and it loves your child and it loves the other. And if we let our hearts be open and allow, and this is the hardest part for most people is to truly allow their heart to open, then it just flows. It's not like... There is no more giving and receiving. It just is. Talk to me about miracles. What is a miracle? And I'll also love to understand the word grace more. 
you mentioned in your book, those two words. Yeah. Well, grace, grace and miracles go together for me. And I um, sometimes, you know, people tend to go into a more new agey approach of like, yeah, if you're really connected to love, you will only have miracles and it will be all good. I think that's a lie because there's a fear of encountering the pain and the sorrows of life. For me, um, grace is even there when I'm in the midst of my sorrow. And the grace that, for example, comes suddenly if I'm open, and it really has to do with if a person is open, that the grace, the hand of grace, even in your darkest despair, can come through a person who just calls you up on the phone and says, you know, I'm here for you. That's the hand of grace in that moment. Or the grace that you think you never get out of this dark hole and you wake up one morning and suddenly you hear literally the birds singing as if it's for the first time. How did that happen? You didn't make that happen. It it happened. Something opened you. Something that's grace. It's beyond of what I can do or you can do. It's the grace, the, 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 the benevolence of this universe, we could call it. And it comes often in those moments where we are least expecting it and the most, often the most distraught. Mm-hmm. Funny. Yeah. You know, may have yeah, experienced the paradox, right? Yeah. And I, for me, miracles is, is a word that I, in this chapter on grace and grit, I, uh, miracles on the soles of your shoes, I deliberately chose because my eyes were open to that there is actually the whole of life is a complete miracle. If I just have the eye, if I just let my eyes open to it, the miracle of a child being born, like my daughter was born or I saw other children being born. How did this happen? What makes this life move through the body and just come out as a baby, so innocent, born into this world? For me, like also miracles that happened, literally so many happened in my life that I, in the beginning, I kept writing them down and I I just couldn't fill the pages fast enough anymore. Where it started was just looking at small things like, oh yeah, yesterday the flower was closed, now it's open. Little miracle, right? But then it became bigger miracles like now in the book I described also were I met the dolphin and we fell in love with each other. And I just swam with a wild dolphin and had the most incredible experience with him. Or I had this experience with, you know, a friend of mine whose dog was lost in the fire and we found him in a cave hidden together with a deer and a sheep. And he was protecting both of them from the fire. These are miracles. These are things, and these are just small things I'm just mentioning here, but there are so many more that I, you know, I could fill up the whole interview with that. Yeah. And you mentioned this in your book. I have the line. I love this line. You say, I have experienced so many miracles in my life that I could fill books with endless stories. (laughs) I wonder what it takes to become open and open-hearted so we can experience more. 
I love that question, Valeria, because, um, you know, it's uh, it's just for me, it's a prerequisite to be able to open into love itself. And what I see, you know, in my long term work with people and with my own work on myself, it was that the heart was the, at the, the core of when the heart is closed to the extent the heart is open is the extent you experience love. Most people think their heart is open. It might be to a certain extent. But then you come, as you may experience in yourself, you come to places inside where you experience a layer that blocks you, that you feel like there is an old grief sitting or there's anger sitting or there is a barrier towards actually meeting each other and connecting with each other in a real way, in an authentic way. It's this fear of being seen and heard. It's this fear of actually seeing another fully. And the fear, when I followed the trail all the way, deeper than all the beliefs and all that stuff, at the root, I found one thing that is common with all people around the world I've worked with. It's the fear of pain. It's simple. It's not the fear of physical pain. It's the fear of emotional pain, especially. It's that. And then, of course, the, the what can happen if I'm completely stripped naked, open in my heart. I can be hurt. Somebody comes along and says, I love you. And the next day they leave you or betray you or whatever. You can get hurt with an open heart. Absolutely true. And the fear of being vulnerable, to experience your vulnerability, that's where most people contract and have defense mechanisms. But when the vulnerability is the, the gateway into a great love that is so much bigger than your humanity, you won't get there for reals, unless you walk through your vulnerability and stripping those barriers we have to be really vulnerable, real, uh, authentic, letting ourselves be seen and to open the heart to both, both joy and pain. That's the prerequisite. I'm willing to experience joy and pain. That's a hard one. The pain is the hard one. But when you do Yes. In, in my life, I've seen it when I did that and just gave a yes to that. In that moment, something relaxed and said, okay, I will survive it. And even if I don't, at least I have lived my life in love, in full. And I have, I've loved, you know, and this is this deeper choice of like, will I live my life in based on fear? Will I live my life in full? That means I'm willing to experience pain, joy, fear, everything, and loss, gain, the whole nine yards. And it's it's a it's only a willingness that's needed, not anything. It's not you, nobody has to get this perfect, but in that moment, the love is unleashed. That's what I call uh, true courage to be open to life in such a way. We're almost at the end of the interview. I have a few more questions for you. I call them final questions. But before that, would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? I think I want to add to 
I don't have the book right now in front of me, but I would love to add that love is really to really unleash the love that lives inside of you. It's a journey and it's a journey through one's own humanity. And it's a deeper, deeper commitment, a dedication that you turn towards what lives you, that you turn your life towards what is it that you're standing for? What is it that you're living for, really? What is your heart beating for at the, at the core? Because it will give so much courage. And to turn towards connecting with you know, yourself, but also with others first, before doing anything, before taking action. Because the action, when it comes from connection, will be filled with love. And so, yes, love is not for the faint-hearted. Love is actually, it's going to make you true and courageous. It's the most beautiful and the most intense journey, really. I love your wisdom, deep wisdom um, of embracing life as is. And everything else you speak of is um, truly liberating. And um, thank you so much, Dr. Nicola. Thank you so much, Valerie. What is another word for healing? Becoming whole, turning back to wholeness, returning to wholeness, I would say. If you knew you would die soon, meaning losing the body, would you make any change in your life or do anything differently? No. You definitely know what you know. <laughs> I, I've lived um, most of my life with the question, how would I live if I knew I would die tomorrow? And for me... It's been such an empowering question. Yeah, to be asked pretty much every day, right? Or every moment, really. I agree. And my last question, what are three things about life you know for sure as of now? I know for sure that love is here always. I know for sure that it's beating in my heart and it, that it beats in your heart. And I know for sure that anything can be overcome through the power of love. Thank you so much for your wisdom again and your message, your profound message and your presence in this podcast. Thank you, Dr. Nicola. Thank you, Valeria. Where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services and future projects? It's on my website, nicolamadora.com. Very simple. There's everything, you know, I do teach retreats and write books and teach and work with clients. So it's everything can be found on that big website. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. I'll have you. You have a beautiful website. Um, really, really beautiful to look at even. I will have the link also written on your podcast profile. Thank you so much again. And we'll talk soon. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Dr. Nicola Amadora, please visit her website, nicolaamadora.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org slash podcast. I want to thank the Patreon members, Lawrence McGrath, Mark Basden, Terry Clayton, and Aidan Vickrock. Thank you again for listening, and bye for now. Mm-hmm.